it's always a, a delight to get to be here with uh, you all here from the edge. You always have a special place in my heart. Uh, I get to step in while uh, Pete and some of the others try to pry Morgan out of Casey's tight grip this morning. <clears throat> and uh, so we'll just see how that goes. Uh, I'm part of the teaching team at Shawnee uh, and Edgerton, and I'm also privileged to get to serve as one of the elders of our campuses. Uh, what I want to do is give you permission this morning uh, to help me out as much as you just helped Adam out. So if you see anything going wrong, just shout it out. We'll deal with it, okay? <laughs> if it's amen, that's fine. If it's a women, that's fine too. <clears throat> you know, that's why we sing hymns and not hers, right? Because uh, you never know for sure. <laughs> here all week, here all week. That's great. I appreciate, I appreciate the help. Uh, you probably have noticed from the songs in the proximity of, of our resurrection service that we're concentrating on, on the dire circumstances of life, right? Particularly the dire circumstances uh, today. Uh, we continue with Jesus as he hangs on the cross. Have you ever noticed how much more fun it is to start something that, than it is to finish something? I love to start things. In fact, I've got a garage full of things I've started. Last year, I started a diet, you know, right after uh, the Thanksgiving meal the year before and the Christmas meal, I, I felt, okay, that's enough. I'm, I'm, I'm not hungry anymore. I can start a diet. I can do this thing. And then four hours later, my stomach is gnawing at my backbone, and I'm wondering, do I have what it takes to finish well? You know, I, I kept it. There was week one. That was an awful week. Then week two was worse than week one. Week three, you know, my backbone was nearly chewed in two by that time but I had to keep working and working. And finally, I lost 35 pounds last year. Now, that was sort of a good finish, uh, but I had to keep working at it moment by moment, day after day, meal after meal. I, starting wasn't enough. I had to finish. Uh, and all those projects uh, in my garage, we'll talk about those at another time. <laughs> but uh, a consistent resolve is required if you're going to finish well. And uh, if I don't finish well, no matter how strong I start, it just doesn't really make any difference. So what does it take really uh, to finish well? That's what I want to explore with you today. I want to explore with you today the example of Jesus for our finishing well. If you recall around seven or eight months ago, we began this journey in what we call the story, right? You all familiar with the story? It's the, the, the condensed chronological version uh, of the whole Bible kind of put together so we get the narrative of God's story uh, in our life. Uh, we have discovered that this is not just an ordinary story. This is the story. This is the story that explains everything, and it reveals how you and I fit into God's story. And this story has the power, I think, to change who you are and what you think. It changes how, to change how you view life. It tells you who you are, what you do, and why you matter to God and why your life matters. And we talked initially, in, in terms of review, we, we began with this story in the Garden of Eden, right? It's, a long, it's like a fairy tale beginning. A long, long time ago in a beautiful land far, far away, but things quickly changed, didn't they? It didn't stay as a story, uh, as a storybook fairy tale beginning. In fact, uh, soon there was a rift between creator and creation. 
because Adam and Eve ate of that uh, fatal fruit, so to speak, right? And they handed their authority, the authority that God had created them to have on the earth, they handed that authority over to Satan. Yet at that very moment, as a result of that sin, before they were sent out of the garden, God began to weave the promise of the scarlet thread of Jesus Christ into history. In Genesis 3.15, we read something like this. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, fast forward to that stony hill that's littered with crosses. And here's where that scarlet thread has led us through all the stories of the Old Testament. It's now woven into the rich tapestry that is Jesus Christ hanging on that cross on Calvary. He is the fulfillment of the promise that was made all those thousands of years ago. What God began in Eden, he finishes well on Calvary. And because he finished well, we have the chance the opportunity to finish well. Jesus, I want you to understand this, Jesus has never been God's plan B. Jesus is God's plan alpha, his plan omega, his first plan, his last plan, his only plan. And continuing from Eden, the story of that scarlet thread is woven through the eternal conflict of good versus evil. And our Bibles contain the warp and the, and the wolf of this story and the the fabric of extraordinary narratives of real people like you and me, real people who have real lives, real jobs, real struggles, and are called upon to live by a real faith in a real relationship with a real God. But this is not an ordinary story. This is a story by which we can live an extraordinary life. And from today's portion of the story, we enter the story of the present pain and suffering of Jesus on the cross. It's not a pleasant time for Jesus. At Calvary, Jesus keeps a promise he made thousands of years before. <clears throat> and you'll see in Jesus, I think, what it takes to finish well. And even in the face of pain, hopelessness, and despair, Jesus finished well. And because he finished well, you can finish well. To finish well, you must come alongside Jesus as he finishes well, keeping the promises he made to mankind through Adam, through Abraham, through Moses, through David, and all the prophets of old. And remember that this moment on the cross is the exact moment in time to which every word that's recorded in most of this Bible has pointed to. And it's the point to which every word that's recorded after this moment points back to. There's nothing in this book that doesn't resolve at this moment in time. Hanging there on the cross, Jesus finishes well what he started. If you'll recall about three and a half years before this event, <clears throat> the Spirit had descended on Jesus as heaven opened up at his baptism. The Spirit descended on Jesus and as the Spirit descended and remained on Jesus, he was driven to the desert. You could almost hear at that moment the angels singing and heaven 
just delighted in dancing. But that was three and a half years ago. At that moment, the old rugged cross was just a splinter on the horizon of time. The hope of Jordan soon faded into the pain of Calvary. And although at Calvary, it looks like the end of the road for this Messiah, as he hangs on the cross, he finishes well with actions that are anything but actions of a desperate person. I want you to think that through. He doesn't act like he's hopeless. He doesn't act like he's out of control. In fact, at that very moment on the cross, he begins to conduct kingdom business to the very end. His authority is not compromised because he's hanging on the cross. Though he's hanging on the cross, his concerns turn to relieve not his own pain, not his own suffering, but the pain and the suffering of those around him and to meet the needs of those at the foot of his cross, his mother, Israel, Jerusalem, you, and me. He does all this by finishing what he began in the garden all those years ago. Now, several weeks ago, we paused in, in this story on the cross with five powerful statements that came out of the mouth of Jesus. And I want to review those real quickly because I think it's out of those statements that helps us understand how Jesus got the momentum to finish well at this, at this moment. First of all, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Is that your first thought when you're on the cross of your pain and suffering in life? It was Jesus' first thought. Jesus, in pain and after enduring the insults of those on the ground, he pleads to the Father for the salvation, for the forgiveness. Even those that are jeering at him, throwing stones, hurling uh, insults, There's innocent people and there's guilty people at the foot of the cross. But still, he prays for all those people. And this was his promise to Eve in Genesis 3.15. And it was the blessing to Abraham, as we found out later in the story, in Genesis 12.3. In Genesis 12.3, we read, And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That was God's word to Abraham. This is that blessing on the cross. On that painful cross, Jesus is fulfilling that promise of blessing to you and to me. And the second statement from the cross is, today you will be with me in paradise. With this statement, we encounter Jesus and he's between two scallywags. That's kind of a dated term, isn't it? There's a few of you in here who are familiar with that vintage of term. Two thieves who deserve to be on the cross. They deserved what they had, had, were receiving. But he, he himself, Jesus, in excruciating agony, tends to their needs. One thief, an admitted rebel, an admitted thief, recognized the power that was hanging beside him. And because of that, he joined Jesus in paradise that day. The other continued to join the crowd on the ground and jeered at Jesus. And he chose not to finish well. The first, by putting his faith and his confidence in this Jesus who was powerless, so to speak, on the cross, that thief finished well in Jesus. And that's how we should finish, is in 
Jesus. Then we go to the third statement. Jesus sit, looks down from the cross and he sees John and next to John is his mother and he says, here is your mother. Who could have any more need than you if you're hanging on a cross at that moment? <clears throat> Yet Jesus looks to provide the security of this mother. This is the same mother that about three and a half years earlier came to him and said, son, we're out of wine. And he says, what the, it's not my time yet. But even God listens to his mother. And because he did, that wedding had the best wine that has ever been partaken of, this side of heaven, made by the master winemaker himself, God. Can you imagine that? Now, hanging on the cross, his concern is for the security of that mother. He's honoring his mother. So the wedding of Cana and the party of Cana is fading into the background. But that wedding would be meaningless. That start would be meaningless if Jesus wasn't finishing well on Calvary. Next, we come to these powerful words. They're, my God, my God. At first, they sound like words of desperation to us because they're, they're quotes out of Psalm 22. Casey, I think, probably revealed that to you. And beginning with what things felt like to Jesus at that moment, and in fact, beginning with what they felt like to David when he wrote those words a thousand, a thousand years earlier, it expresses the despair that was apparent at that moment. If you're hanging on the cross, what hope do you have? You'd be inclined to say, my God, my God, has it come to this? But it doesn't stop there. He, soon, when he gets into verses 5 and 6 of that same psalm, he recounts David's faithfulness, or he recounts what David recounts, the faithfulness of God in Israel's history. He says in verses 3 through 5, he says, Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted in you, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. He didn't stop with the despair of what things looked like he began to recall the promises that had been made. Jesus was not content to let even the challenging circumstances of Calvary, what he saw, what he heard, what the agonizing pain he felt, compromise his trust in the promises God had already made. And that was almost a thousand years earlier in the story that that promise was made. So what do you suppose would happen the next time you find on yourself on your cross? If at the moment of your pain and suffering, you began to praise God and remember all the good things he's done for all his people through all time. And in addition to that, the good he's done for you in your time. I keep a journal and I quit counting several years ago, but several years ago I had a 
a thousand pages of typewritten material recounting my journey since 2006 with God. There are places where God intersected my pain and delivered me. There are places where God made promises to me. There are places where those promises were kept. So when I find myself on my little cross, sometimes in tears, sometimes with great reluctance, I open my computer and I go back and I begin flipping through those pages. And I read the promises that are just a few years old. And I remember the promise that's now 2,000 years old. So what do you suppose would happen if we did that, if we took refuge in God's promise? For Christ, he literally hung on every word of God. Will you? And finally, we come to the fifth statement. It says, it is finished. And he continues to allude to uh, this 22nd Psalm, this time to verse 31. And it says, they will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. When Jesus says, it is finished, he's not saying, oh, it's over, I give up. He's simply saying that what David wrote then, a thousand years earlier, is what's happening right here on this cross. That is this. This cross event is that promise event. And the scarlet thread began to be woven into history through Gen that began to be woven into history through Genesis 3.15 and later uh, through Abraham in Genesis 12.3 is now knit into the, through the promise of David, even the promise that God made to David when he said, someone from your seed will always sit on this throne, that one of his descendants would rule forever over Israel. It becomes a full tapestry in Jesus who's now on that cross. It may not feel like fulfillment, that's fulfillment. David goes on to prophesy in Psalm 22. In full view of that, in verse 31, he says, they will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. I love the way the message says this. It says, babies not yet conceived will hear the good news that God does what he says. Isn't that good news? That is good news. That's the gospel. That God does what he says he will do. And with his last breath, Jesus proclaimed the goodness of God and that what was being done at that tragic moment on the cross was no accident, but was in fact the fulfillment of God's promise to you and to me, to all of humanity. As Jesus <clears throat> finished well, <clears throat> again, he declared that that promise thing was finished in this cross thing. And that's the message that's on the lips of Jesus. That's the message of the cross of Jesus. If Jesus could trust in and be comforted by the word of God at that terrible moment, is there any terrible moment in your life that could possibly be more terrible than that moment? Any thread by which you could dangle that would be more threatening? I know each of you, each of us, encounters terrible pain, disappointment, and suffering over and over and over again. And every time we do, we have to remember to finish well 
we have to finish like Jesus finished well. So what do you suppose would happen if rather than agreeing with those terrible circumstances of ours, that we were to agree with the promises that God has already made for us and the plans he's already made for you? So when you're afraid, when you're in great pain, when you're in turmoil, when you are under great pressure, what would happen if you stepped into the promise of God? Jesus did. And by doing that, he finished very well. Like I said at the beginning, starting is always fun. I'm very confident that making wine at Cano was much more fun, much more comfortable than shedding blood at Calvary. But both events were necessary. Starting is hopeful and glamorous. Finishing is awful, often painful and tedious. We start with a full tank of gas and we end up on fumes. But we have to know how to finish well. So let's explore together, explore together what finishing well looks like now that we have this story in view. <clears throat> First, I want you to see that finishing well has a practical impact. The story of Jesus is not just a spiritual story of this God guy who did this marvelous thing that nobody else could do. Look what Jesus did while he was hanging on the cross as he endured that terrible pain and that suffering and that shame. <clears throat> First of all, he didn't do that. He didn't put on, as, as Pastor Matt says, he didn't put on this suit of flesh, leave the comfort of heaven, come to the disappointment and pain of earth, hang on that cross for those grueling hours so that you could come sit in one of these chairs for an hour on Sunday to either feel guilty or self-satisfied. Consider that while Jesus was on that cross, he had a very practical impact. He, he, he impacted his mother. He impacted the thieves. And guess what? He had an impact on the crowd, the mob that watched him. They went away beating their chest, and he had an impact on the Roman guards that had no reason to believe in him at all. This was somebody else's religious skirmish. The obedience of Jesus comes powerfully into these events. He had spoken the word uh, from heaven that God was pleased with. He had heard the word from heaven that God was pleased with him as his son. But that was the beginning, not the end. There's three things that Jesus did, I think, that helped him finish well. And I think these are things that will help you as you finish well. First of all, we have to start well to finish well, right? Without good starts, we get really poor finishes. You can't start a marathon halfway through or a mile before. It doesn't make any sense, right? And the way he, here's, here's a couple, here's several ways he started well to finish well. He began by aligning his, every part of himself with God. Jesus began his ministry by applying, by aligning himself with God. Remember, at, at, that treacherous moment on Calvary began with 40 days in the wilderness where he underwent that alignment that prepared him for the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the garden, just a few moments before this uh, cross event, Jesus again on his knees, drops of sweat filled with blood falling to the ground as he anticipates this time on the cross. Yet I imagine that when he says the words, nevertheless, 
not my will, but your will be done. He wipes his brow and there's no more drops of blood because at that point he is fully resolved and fully aligned with the purposes of God for his life. We do well to be that aligned. Then he began by listening to God. It seems like almost every day was started with Jesus by a conversation with God. I was talking to Cody earlier. He says he's up to praying twice a day now, right? That's good. We, we might need at least that, right? That's good to have those conversations with God on, on a regular basis. John 12, 49-50 declares that Jesus said nothing except what he heard from the Father. I don't know about you, but I haven't reached a point yet where what comes out of my mouth is only what I hear from God. I tend to expand on it from time to time and embellish on it. That's not good. Join me in continuing to start better by listening better. This is where we get in our New City Church discipling culture. We have two basic questions, right? And we derive it from this very concept. What's God saying to you? And the second concept is, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond to that conversation? And that's what Jesus did. And that leads us to the next. He began by agreeing with God about his circumstances. When Jesus ran into the roadblocks and the battles, instead of seeing them as interruptions to his purpose, he saw them as the way forward to accomplish what God brought him here to do. He used the word of God at those moments to move himself forward. Have you ever thought that the roadblocks and the pain and the suffering, the crosses in your life are not that at all? They're the battlegrounds where Satan comes to stop your forward progress. And the heavenly host has joined with you at those moments if you just invite them through the power and the promise of the word of God to have a victory in that moment that will propel you to that next moment where heaven comes to earth because of your obedience. From the story, we know that in the wilderness and as, as Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, he was in firm resolve, not my will, but your will. And even another way, not my fear, but your power. The next thing is do what's next. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't seem to ever have the whole thing figured out until the end, at least. And certainly the apostles and disciples did. They did what was next. Do what you know to do and trust God for the rest. It's that simple, isn't it? Jesus spent many early morning hours, as we've discussed, in, in, with, prayer, in, in, with God in prayer to get the wisdom he needed for the next step. And then he took that next step. What was effective for Jesus will be effective for you. And then finally, trust God. This is today's event, and that's out of Luke. Uh, I forgot the passage, but it's out of uh, Luke 23, I think. When you have done all you've been given to do, commit yourself into his hands. Trust God for the outcomes, whether they're visible to you or not. See, we walk by sight, but Jesus teaches us to walk by faith. So next week, we're gonna, we'll, we'll enter that hour of darkness that follows the death of Jesus on the cross. And then the following week, it's Sunday. 
and the tomb is empty. But for now, the story will pause here on the cross. Jesus is dead. He's finished well. The sky will darken. The earth will tremble. People will come out of their tombs and the temple veil will be torn in two. All of this played out in public view. And so do the crosses of your life. Even Roman soldiers took note of what happened on that cross that dark day. Would the centurion at the foot of the cross of Jesus have found it somewhat curious that this man on the cross with this sign above his head, this is the king of the Jews, is still conducting business, conducting affairs as though he had no problems. That centurion was profoundly impacted, not by a theological concept, not even by the physical word of God or the written word of God, but by the physical word of God acting out in the flesh the word of God. Jesus was finishing well, and by finishing well, he led that centurion to a newfound faith because he says, surely this was a righteous man. That's the power of your finishing well. So what's the cross for you right now that you're presently bearing? What pain, what struggle, what disappointment are you dealing with today? Is your life under assault at home? Is it under assault at work? Whatever kind of assault, will you start well? Will you start to finish well? So that the observers at the foot of your cross will turn and praise God for the way you finish, for the way you endure, the way you continue to conduct kingdom business in spite of this cross? Will they compare how you struggle on the cross to how others will struggle on the cross? And will they see something new about a reality that's invisible to them about the reality of heaven and say that surely this was a righteous man or this is a righteous woman? Your cross is not the disappointment you may imagine it to be. It's the place where heaven meets earth and your story becomes God's story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that old rugged cross and that through the power of that cross, you give us power in every cross that you have trusted us to bear. Father, I lift up everyone here and I ask you to help us to be the victors to conduct that kingdom business at those times when we find ourselves on the cross and that we would take up our cross eagerly and for the shame set before us, we would endure it for your glory. Give us that power, Father, and help us to finish well, just as Jesus finished well. And it's his name we proclaim the power to do that. Amen.